You were asking me about Jesus of Nazareth and if I had met him at any time. <laughs> in actual fact, we live quite close to where his family lived in Nazareth. Joseph, Mary, his mother and his brothers. I was a few years older than he was. I remember him growing up, especially the time we all went up to Jerusalem when he was 12. The children were all so excited about seeing the great temple and all other sites in that old city. All the families travelled together as a group for safety and company and for us children it was a huge adventure. We sometimes ate with the other families and even sometimes stayed the night with them as we travelled in the caravan. On the way home we were all very tired and we children were mostly just sitting around in the various groups and thinking about all that had happened to us and imagining what it would be like to live in that great city. But I remember on the first evening we were away from Jerusalem as we children were all getting ready for bed there was a bit of commotion and excitement amongst our various parents. Jesus was missing. The search party went through all the caravan and all the families and friends looking for him, but he could not be found. It was finally worked out that he had not been seen since leaving Jerusalem. I remember now that Jesus was much more deeply interested in the temple than most of us children. He seemed deep in thought most of the time. Mary and Joseph left the rest of the family with their relatives and they returned to Jerusalem. A few of us went with them to help in the search. Three days later, by that time, Mary and Joseph were at their wit's end. We found Jesus in the temple with all the rabbis and doctors of theology and the like, listening to them and then asking them questions. We could see that they were impressed and amazed by this young boy. I remember Mary said, My child, why have you done this to us? Behold, your father and I have looked for you, greatly distressed. I'll, I'll never forget his answer. Why do you, did you look for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They, and of course I, did not understand what he was talking about. It was very strange. In a way, it was a turning point for me. I viewed Jesus through different eyes after that. We all returned back to Nazareth. I remember the look in Mary's eyes as we made the journey home. As she looked at her son sleeping, she seemed to be remembering something and storing this event up in her mind. Time passed we all grew up. Jesus grew into a man who was held in great favour by all around. He had great wisdom. 
he was somehow different to the rest of us. I remember the first miracle he performed at the beginning of his itinerant ministry. A bit before, he had gone up to the Jordan to be baptised by his cousin John. Some of us had gone up there as well. I'll tell you more about that some other time. After that event, he started to gather around him some followers who believed that he was the promised Messiah. We were all expecting. His cousin John had called him the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. That had made me think more about Jesus. The Zebedee boys, and then Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and Nathaniel were with him at the start. Then one day, a friend of both our families was getting married. My uncle Zebedee was in charge of all the arrangements. Now, if you knew my uncle Zebedee, you would never have put him in charge of anything like that. He was a round, fat man, always smiling and laughing, always generous, always willing to help anyone who came along, the type of man who would give you his last shekel. To put him in charge of a guest list and eats and drinks was very, very, very foolish. I can just visualise what he did. We're having a wedding next week. My favourite niece is getting married. You must come along. You haven't had an invitation? Well, you have one now. Hope to see you next week. Trouble was... Uncle Zebedee never kept records, never told anybody of his plans, just kept inviting people. Mary's family, of course, were invited, and the disciples of Jesus were invited as well, by Uncle Zebedee. The day of the wedding arrived. Uncle Zebedee was in his element. All his friends and many others were there to enjoy the happy occasion. He was welcoming them with his cheery smile. You could hear his laugh before you saw him. And there was plenty of Uncle Zebedee to see. The bride and groom looked lovely and the ceremony was wonderful with joyful praise and worship to our great God. We all moved on to the wedding feast. But disaster struck. The preliminaries of the wedding feast had hardly begun when there was a shortage of wine. Uncle Zebedee's generosity was coming home to roost. Mary was talking to Uncle Zebedee when one of the servants broke the news to him. Poor Uncle Zebedee looked crestfallen. I saw Mary sidle over to Jesus. I just caught a snippet of her conversation. She said, they have no wine. Jesus looked a little stern and said something like, why are we involved? And that his time was not yet come, or something like that. His public ministry was only just beginning. However, his mother 
went on to the servants and said, Whatever he says to you, do it. I've often thought of those words and what good advice that was and is for us today. Of course, you know Jesus has since been crucified and ascended to heaven. We should all do what he says and what he wants us to do, especially by following him. But to carry on. Now, as you know, there are always washing facilities at all these functions so that the guests may wash their feet from the dusty roads when they arrive. Standing near the entrance, there were six large stone water pots. Each would hold about 12 gallons of water. Jesus went over quietly to the servants and said, Fill them up with water. I watched as they filled them up to the brim, cool, clear water. He then said, draw off some and bring it to the governor of the feast, my poor uncle Zebedee. He was sitting with his head in his hands, whimpering in despair. They, they interrupted his thoughts and said, try this, sir. He tasted it and his face changed back to his own self. Where did you get this? Quickly, get me the groom. The groom eventually arrived. Uncle Zebedee, with a twinkle in his eye, said, No panic, everything under control. But why did you do this to me? Everybody gives the guests the best wine at the start, but you've kept the best wine till the last. The groom did not know what he was talking about. It turned out to be one of the best wedding feasts most people had ever attended. We told Uncle Zebedee about it afterwards, about the miracle, and he became very thoughtful. And he too became a follower of Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth. Soon after that wedding, Jesus went to Jerusalem and went into the temple and found that the traders had moved right into the temple precincts with the approval of the temple authorities. He drove them and their birds and the animals out, overturned the tables of the money changers and cleaned up the whole place. He said, take these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. I then remembered what he had said when we found him in the temple when he was only twelve. Why did you look for me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business in the temple? His father's house, he said. He truly was the Son of God. Thank you, my friend, for asking if I knew Jesus. Now, why not read about these events as they actually happened from the Bible? Get out a Bible and in the New Testament section... Find Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 39 to 51. 
about Jesus being lost and found in the temple. Then go to John's Gospel, chapter 2, and verses 1 to 17. And there you'll find about the wedding at Cana of Galilee and the clearing out of the temple. Incidentally, have you ever wondered why it is called the New Testament? When we make our wills, if perchance we have anything to leave to our friends or relatives, the document, or the will, usually starts with, this is the last will and testament of Joe Bloggs. And then follows a list of the bequests or gifts by will to the various friends. And that is what the New Testament is. It is the bequests which our Lord has left for us. All the many blessings which we may receive from him in his will for us. You wonder what some of these are. Well, to start with, he has left us the gift of eternal life. Then we may have peace with God. He left us the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who accept his gift of eternal life. Think of it. God, the Holy Spirit, coming to live in our lives. And you know, there are many, many more. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 14, the first epistle that John wrote, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. If we ask anything according to what's in the New Testament, and it must be in accord with his will, he heareth us. Now, there is a strange thing that has happened in the world. If you were poor, and your rich great-aunt died, and left a will, and you are mentioned in that will, would you not be anxious to know what is in it? what you're going to receive. You would surely be insane not to read the will and claim your gifts. Yet Jesus has left us his will for our lives now and in eternity. And many people do not bother to even read the will. Remember the message to the servants. Whatever he says to you, do it. So just a quick look at what Jesus has said about us, to us, and for us. In the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3 and verse 16, a few more verses after that, here's what it says. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that means should not spend misery eternally in hell. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation 
that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He goes on and in verse 36 it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has died, and on the cross he took the punishment due to us for our sins. Through his death we may know our sins forgiven and receive the gift of life. As Jesus said, life in all its fullness. So, what have we to do to get this gift? The answer is simple. We accept it. We confess to God that we are sinners, ask his forgiveness in true repentance, and in faith thank him for the gift of life through the death of his beloved son. Now, I'm sure some may be saying or thinking, I'm not a sinner. I do my best. I live by the golden rule, do unto others as you would they should do unto you, and so much things like that. Now, if you're thinking that, here is what the Bible, God's will, says in the epistle written by John near the end of the New Testament. Chapter 1 of the first epistle, verse, starting at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Listen, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there we have it. It is a gift. It is free. Christ has done it all for us. We acknowledge our sins and believe God's word. Now, somebody someday will nearly be sure to say to you that you cannot know that you are now bound for heaven. But I just want to point out two verses to confound that statement. John the Apostle was with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and wrote the Gospel of John and three letters, or as they are known as epistles. So we may be sure that he knew what he was speaking about in relation to the teaching of Jesus. The first verse is in his Gospel, chapter 20 and verse 31. But these things are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. He wanted people to know about Jesus and to have life, real life, through him. 
And then he added to this in his first letter, writing to those who had already believed on the Lord Jesus and to confirm their beliefs, perhaps in case they had some doubts. And in his first epistle, in chapter 5 and verse 13, here's what he says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Then he added, in 1 John 5 and verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. If you're not already sure and if you do not know him may you come to know my saviour as your saviour and receive the requests for you that Christ has given in his last will and testament